the dreaded B word. What? Yeah. Okay. We're talking about budgeting. It's not going to be as bad as you think. Hang in there. Let's have some fun. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights. Just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Reidemann, and welcome back to the show. We're going to be doing something a little bit different today, and I'll be rocking it solo because I want to talk to you guys about budgeting and the concept of budgeting, and I call it the dreaded B word, hence the clever title, right? But most people think that budgeting sucks. And most people, when you, they hear the word of a budget, want to run away. I think it's because traditional budgeting methods are really hard to stick to. And there's a lot of behavioral issues that go with that. And there's a lot of time and tracking. And sometimes people are just afraid to look at themselves in the mirror and go like, what have I done? I also think that budgeting lacks the room for personality, for goals, and honestly, your dreams. Having a restrictive budget, I almost look at it as like fad dieting when people do this, but having a restrictive budget doesn't really take into account what you're working really hard to achieve day in and day out. I know that based on years and years of working with clients as a fee-only financial advisor, one area that everyone seems to really get caught up on or to have the most issues or truthfully the most questions on is around budgeting and their spending and cash flow. We've had several people on the show talk about these things, and I I do want to highlight a couple shows for you to go back and listen to because I think they're really important. And one of them is the How to Build a Budget That Actually Makes Sense with Steve Crawford, my Australian friend who's a fellow advisor. He has a cool little system that he's been working on. I think we did a really good job, and it was actually a two-part series on talking through budgeting and some of the importances of it. And I'd like to pair that show with the one that I did with Sarah Falah called The Makeup of a Physician Millionaire and How to Become One. Because in that show, she was talking about just all the data that they've had for the past 30 years um, with The Millionaire Next Door and then The Next Millionaire Next Door that she wrote on how physicians are income statement affluent, but they're balance sheet poor. And what that really means is you all make a ton of money, but you don't have a lot to show for it. And in the early parts, like when we were going through med school and residency and, you know, as Taylor's going through fellowship, like we were poor, we had negative net worth and you might still be there right now. And that's totally fine. Completely normal. Casey and I, our average client is almost $300,000 of student debt. There's no way you're going to be net worth positive during training. It's, it's okay. It's very, very normal. What's not okay, though, is when you're in your late 40s, early 50s, you've been working all this time and and just not saving and you're still, your net worth is either negative or very little positive. That isn't okay. And I think the reason becomes you or they, you know, kind of put their head in the sand like an ostrich and hope that everything will just breeze over. Uh, you know, they, they, they're not tracking their spending. And, and I don't want you to track it penny for penny. Uh, for forever. Uh, I don't think, I think that's a waste of time. I don't think that it's worth it, but you do need to have a system in place. And just like anything, you've got to build a routine. And ultimately, uh, you know, you'll spend a little bit of time in the beginning doing this. 
But ultimately, you'll be spending 15 minutes a month probably to do quote unquote maintenance of these things. So how can you actually live with a budget that doesn't make you feel like you're in prison? You're probably searching for that magic answer or that tool, that app, that whatever it could be out on the internet. Uh, and today, I think, you know, some good news is I'm going to tell you how we essentially do it behind the scenes for clients and for ourselves personally. Hopefully, you walk away with some actionable tips today on how to really put together that budget. So, in reality, there's five big steps. And the steps I'll tell you right now, just so you know how we're going to go through them. But essentially, the first step is determining your goals. Uh, the second step is the actual review. The third step is creating a budget that reflects your goals and truly what brings you happiness. The fourth one is creating the correct banking structure to go with the goals and your spending. And then the fifth one is some additional tools that could help you walk through this process and make it maybe a little bit more simpler to do that. So diving into the first step of determining your goals, like please don't skip this step. Yes, it's not actually tracking anything from your spending, but your spending, we have to understand what makes you happy, what spending makes you happy. And we're going to go through a little bit on this, but just identify a mix of short-term goals, let's say six months to a year, and long-term goals, two or more years, let's say. Ultimately, this is up to you. No one's going to be able to tell you what those goals look like or what they should be, but achieving some goals early on is going to help keep you motivated. It's almost like a gamification of budgeting. The little things, you know, if you, I don't know if you guys ever played any video games or anything, but if you're working on a video game and you start and you level up really quickly, the game is inherently teaching you in the beginning, we're going to reward you with all these like shiny things and new level ups and all that because it'll get you playing longer. And then as you play longer, it's harder to level up and to do these things, but you have already been kind of addicted to that, you know, ooh, shiny object in the game itself. But in here, you're going to be hopefully addicted to the ability to knock off these smaller goals. So set small goals, set big goals, but understand a few pieces. Everyone says, oh, if you just didn't go to Starbucks and you save that and you invested that at this percentage, like you would have, you know, enough money to retire two years early. Maybe, maybe not. Because if you're not saving the money and you're spending it on something else that doesn't make you as happy, then that kind of went out the window. But what if going to Starbucks was truly made you happy? It was the only time in your day that you could decompress, that you could sit there and enjoy a cup of coffee before a super long shift or just after a long shift. Um, and that was really something that you needed to prioritize for your own sanity. That is definitely the case. We have clients that it's absolutely the case. And so we don't want you to cut out that spending. We want you to keep spending there. But in order to spend there, something else would have to give because ultimately, and we'll talk about in a little bit, we want you to obviously have some fixed costs, some variable costs and some savings. And we, we need to make sure that we're paying yourself first. So those are the dollars that are going to be assigned to long-term savings. And then kind of everything flows down from there. So let's jump into the second step now that you've kind of determined some goals. This is really the review. If you have no idea what you're spending, that's okay. This is where you're going to start to understand what it is. But I want you to give it your first best guess to write down and 
You can look at several budgeting templates online. If it's helpful, please let me know. Email me, Ryan, at financialresidency.com or tag me in the group, in the, in the Facebook group, in the community group, and I can help you give out you know a little bit of a maybe a one-page layout or something of what we do, what I do personally. But I want you to write out your expenses. There's software that can help you with this because personally, that sounds terrible to me to write out everything. I want to automate and be able to spend my time wisely. So I use uh, software personally and with clients called Tiller. Um, you can check it out at financialresidency.com slash Tiller, T-I-L-L-E-R. It essentially ports all your data into a Google Sheet, which I'm a spreadsheet nerd. And I absolutely love being able to categorize and auto-categorize transactions and see everything in one place. But you're ultimately going to assign all of these expenses that you've written down or ported in using a software. You're going to assign them a category. Here's our referenced categories, and I'll go a little bit slower on this so you maybe can write them down or you can just rewind 20 seconds and write them down again and again if you need to. But auto and transport, bills and utilities, debt, food, health, home, insurance, family, lifestyle spending, travel, and Amazon. Yes, Amazon. Because everyone spends money at Amazon. Amazon, I feel like gets all our money. And we need to know how much we're actually spending. And for those of you that know that you spend a lot on Amazon and you have no idea what you're spending it on, it's really hard to find the data inside of Amazon itself. They want to make this really tough. But if you actually just pop open Google and type in like Amazon export orders, you'll actually go right to the direct. It's almost a hidden link in Amazon, but you'll go to the ability to export all of your orders to Excel. Like if you truly wanted to dive in and see where your Amazon is going. Personally, I don't care that much. I know that Amazon is going to get a bulk of our money and I know that we spend a lot and I need to make sure I budget appropriately, but I don't care that that amount of detail. But if you do, that's the easiest way to find that detail um, because there's no software out in existence that will know uh, what it is because Amazon even tries to hide the data from you in their system. But I want you to notice one thing and you're going to notice that I don't have a category called miscellaneous or other, because if you do that, it's like a black hole. It's a money pit. If you don't, uh, I don't know, just other. Well, that doesn't really help. You might as well just not spend any time doing this because you're not going to truly know what other means or what it is. If it's miscellaneous, probably toss it in lifestyle spending um, because that's where the majority of those extra things kind of come into play. But just notice, don't have those miscellaneous other categories. It's honestly just a waste of your time uh, in doing this. So now that we've got these high-level categories, what I want you to do is to take these high-level categories and to start ranking them because we're going to start at the high level and eventually cascade down. But what I want you to do is start ranking them in terms of happiness and necessity, right? But mostly happiness. And what I mean by that is the necessity part, like debt. You have student debt. You've got to make your payments. You don't. You're going to go into default, hold slew of mess. Don't ever, ever, ever do that, by the way. But you have to pay it. So even if it doesn't make you happy, because trust me, it would have been at the very bottom of our list, uh, you've got to pay that one. But I want to know what makes you happy. And I want you to know what makes you happy and, and to look at your spending in that light, not uh, oh, this, you know, you, where the leaks at in the boat kind of deal. I want you to know like where the money's actually going and is it going in a way that brings you guys joy. So do you, do you rank, let's say vacations over, let's say dining out. 
Or do you prefer that Starbucks latte versus, you know, the latest and greatest smartphone? And that would be a tough one for me. I would like a nice coffee, but I think I'd probably go with the tech first. But really have those kind of internal discussions or discussions with your partner, maybe on a money date, uh, like we've kind of discussed on the show. You know, but really boil it down to the high levels and then inside of each one of these categories is little subcategories. So inside of home might be renovation costs, it might be landscaping and maintenance and things like that. Well, I would view landscaping and maintenance below, let's say, home renovation expenses because I can do the landscaping myself, but I can't do the renovations myself. I'm not that handy. So I would start again high level and kind of breaking those those pieces down. And once you've really done that, I want you to stop and really reflect on those. And this isn't going to be completed in the first day and then you're done and never looking at it again. You're going to keep revisiting this because I want to make sure that you understand that where you're spending money is in areas that excite you. Once you've done that, now we've got some time for our initial analysis. And in this, I want you to to get that you're not trying to fix all the bad behaviors. You're just observing what's going on for probably several months and maybe try to cut some costs here or there with getting quotes for different, uh, maybe probably of your fixed expenses. But I don't want you to make any changes to your variable spending your beha- in, in, or try to work on behaviors or anything like that. This isn't the fad crash diet type thing. You're going to go cold turkey and eat kale and drink a ton of water and that's it. And then all of a sudden, three weeks later, you said that was terrible and you're done. Like we want to build this as a lasting thing. So take it slow and go through these one by one. And if you need more time, like totally cool. It's on your own time, but make sure that you are not burning yourself out on this piece or trying to make too many changes that ultimately you'll just end up quitting because then you have wasted a bunch of time and you're probably going to overspend when it comes out of it. What I mean by observing what's going on and trying to cut some cost is when you go through and put those initial numbers down of like what you think you're spending and your best guesses, they're not going to be right. Just know that. That's okay. It's not going to be right. Hopefully it's close and hopefully you know kind of what's going on. But over time, over the next, let's say 90 days, you're going to get a more accurate picture of like where money could be going. And maybe, ooh, I forgot to add XYZ into my budget um, because the first time or couple times you looked at this, you didn't remember it. That's totally fine what I mean by cutting costs? Well, I think it's, you know, as you're doing this, you can analyze and categorize your spending, but look at it. Like, are you paying, let's say too much for your phone bill? You know, maybe, maybe not. If you're paying more than 75 bucks a month for, let's say two people, you definitely are paying too much. Um, we use Google Fi and our bill for two of us is like under $60. If you don't know what Google Fi is, please go check it out financialresidency.com slash Google. It'll take you right there. You'll be able to see it. It's amazing. I absolutely love it. And I actually don't have any cell phone reception issues at my house anymore. And that was, even if I had to pay a little bit more, that was worth it. Uh, but uh, it's it definitely works. Another thing, like, are you paying for car insurance and you're overpaying for car insurance? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, if you bundle everything at USAA, you probably are. That's okay. Something to say about paying a little bit more for simplicity and keeping everything in one place, but you're probably overpaying and you should probably go run quotes at some of the major insurance companies. 
And I know I've told the story several times on the show, but we literally saved over 50%, five zero, not 15% like the commercials say, uh, when we moved from Vegas to San Diego by switching to Geico. Cue that cute little lizard guy and the, the music and whatever if you want. But in reality, like we saved over 50% moving from State Farm, which I'd been there for almost 20 years, to Geico. And that's insane. And that freed up a lot of money in our budget to go and do other things that we enjoyed more because I don't enjoy paying car insurance. I don't know about you guys. I absolutely need it. And I pay for the best coverages in case someone, we hit someone, we cause some damage, whatever it is. And they find out I'm married to a doctor and all of a sudden their back hurts, their neck hurts, and they need all these things. I want to have adequate coverage there, but I saved a ton of money and that was worth it to me in the extra time and effort to go do that. And so in this piece, That's all I would want you guys to really be trying to change is to just go get quotes and see, are you paying more for fixed expenses uh, than you should be? It's the low hanging fruit. It's super easy to do. Don't do it all in one day. Take a little bit at a time that this piece, don't rush it because this is like your first steps to kind of get in the process of looking at budgeting and, and cash flow planning. So our third step is actually creating the budget to reflect the goals and really what brings us happiness. And we've got a formula that we we pretty much use. It's the 50-25-25 concept. What that is, is essentially 50% of your take-home pay, like take-home pay is what hits your bank after taxes and 401k deductions and all that. It's the money that actually hits your bank. So 50% of that money, let's use $10,000 as the example, 50% or 5,000 should go towards fixed expenses. 25% of that money should go towards variable expenses. So $2,500. And of the 10,000, the last $2,500 or 25% is going towards savings. And what I mean by that, and I'll explain a bit more as we're going, but savings is what increases your net worth. You're not saving for a trip or saving for another goal because essentially that's just variable spending that's delayed. We're saying truly benefits by increasing your net worth. This could be paying down debt. It could be funding your IRAs, things like they're funding your HSAs if you can't do it through work. Like Those type of things are the important stuff. So fixed expenses, this would be student debt. It'd be rent or mortgage. It would be your utility bills, those kind of things. It's what expenses, if you never left your house, what expenses would still occur without you doing anything? I think I would lump in food into there as well because you need to eat. Otherwise, you would not be able to listen to this. So I'm going to lump food into that. But that doesn't mean lump in a bunch of dining out costs and things like that. Like what would it cost if you were to be relatively responsible to go eat a few times out, maybe a month and then cook at home and pack your lunch or whatever it is. That's what I would want to include in that 50% of fixed Variable expenses, on the other hand, is anything that when you walk outside your door and you have the conscious decision to buy something, that's a variable cost. This could be like your Starbucks, this could be travel, this could be anything else that that essentially comes up. It's going out to lunch, uh, it could be entertainment, going to the movie, a concert, whatever, that happens when you leave your house. And so we don't want those expenses to rise above 25%. Some people blow through that and a lot more. Some people are very, very frugal and they don't spend enough and we don't want either extreme. We want you to be comfortable living in the now, expending money in a way that again, makes you happy, but still adulting kind of for the future. So 
after we've understood that concept, we want to kind of apply this to our current spending, see where we're at, and then try to implement some changes. And again, you're going to have a couple months of data. We're going to be pricing some stuff out, but now you can see kind of how your initial guesswork really lines up to your actual spending. Remember, any progress that you do make is going to be worth it because you're going to be more intentional with your spending. Our fourth step is really around automation, setting up bank structures and creating these individual accounts and having a real flow of money, you know, work in your favor, not uh, against you. Banking and the banking setup and structures should be literally the most simplistic piece out of all of your stuff. And I'm talking everything to do with your personal finances. Banking should be the most simplistic. And the more you can automate, the better. What I typically look at, and everyone's different, and some people have separate accounts, some people have joint, some people want accounts that their spouses can't see what they're spending, if they want to buy gifts or things like that. So you can adapt this however you'd like. But I would say from a very generic basic level and what we do personally, we have one checking account that all of our income flows into. This is also the same account that all of our fixed expenses and bills get paid out of. And again, automation. The more we can set up on auto pay, the less likely you're to forget that something was or wasn't paid. You know, that brain power can be used towards more fun things like hanging out with the kids or going out and doing fun things, not sitting there trying to figure out, did you pay bills on time? Yes or no. And tracking it in spreadsheets or whatever else you might be doing. So everything's coming into that main checking account. And then from there, it's going to flow to various savings accounts. And these savings accounts are essentially going to be these individual accounts for delayed variable costs, or it would be like your emergency savings. So you're going to set up your emergency account. Let's say in this example, you you spend uh, $7,500, you're going to need three months of that inside of your emergency account. So let's call it just to be easy, 25,000 bucks. So you're going to title a savings account emergency, like do not touch. And every month you're going to be putting money into it up to, let's say that 25K. Now, how much and how quick you do this is really up to you and how many other goals you're trying to do. I would say don't prioritize all the fun goals, you know, be somewhat responsible uh, on this piece, but you're going to set up an auto transfer, let's say $250 or $500 a month to go towards that. Let's say your next goal is to travel. You have a big trip coming up, a big five-year anniversary. You guys are going to take a trip that's going to cost, let's make it easy math, uh, $3,600, and it's going to take 12 months in order to save up and to get there. Well, that means that $300 a month needs to be going into that travel account. So you're going to set up a separate travel savings account. Honestly, I would title it like five-year anniversary trip. Give it some meaning, some emotion behind that. Because you are less likely if another big expense comes to still out of your five-year anniversary trip, as opposed to if everything was just lumped into one savings account and you have no idea what's emergency versus travel versus maybe a new car or whatever else your goals are, you're probably just going to take it right from there. So the idea is to create these individual accounts and track these goals together. And as you're budgeting for these pieces that $300 a month to go to the travel account, as example, that actually is part of your variable expenses in the current month. So that $2,500 of variable costs, 300 of that has been earmarked for travel because you're going to spend it in the future on a variable cost. It does not come out of 
the $2,500 that is part of savings. The savings money, again, is IRA money or money that's going to be added to your student debt since you, let's say, refied, and now you want to pay it off quicker or to pay off the house quicker or something or going to a taxable account to just increase your investments or your net worth. The last one that most people forget or don't think about or don't really know to create is an account for your yearly expenses. And this is a savings account that I would title for your yearly expenses. It's essentially a sinking fund. And what I mean here is let's say that your car insurance costs $600 every six months. And you know that every six months that is coming. Well, as opposed to trying to cash flow it out of what's left in your checking account, you're actually going to save $100 every month into this separate savings account for that cost. So every month, $100 is going into this yearly expense account because you know that in six months, that bill for $600 is coming, which gets paid on your credit card for points and whatever, um, or it could be just directly auto-drafted out of your checking But when that does happen, you move the 600 from your yearly expense savings up to your checking account to pay off the bill. You're thinking ahead, you're planning ahead. We're taking semi-annual or quarterly or yearly costs and we're bringing everything back in to a monthly amount because you're not paid yearly. You're not paid one time a year. Maybe your bonuses are structured that way or every quarter or every six months, but you're getting paid every month. And so we need to understand how money's coming in and how money's going out in a monthly basis. Our last step is step five, which is to use other tools to learn how to keep this budget going and how to keep it functioning. And there's lots of good tools out there. Mint has a great tool. YNAB or You Need a Budget is another great tool. We, like I said, use Tiller and I love what Tiller does Uh, because it allows me to take all the transactions that I have across all my different accounts, um, whether it's investment accounts or checking accounts or credit cards or my savings, and allows me to see it all in one place in a Google Sheet, which I use Google for everything, but in a Google Sheet that I can now manipulate the data to what I need it to do. Now, for clients, we know because we work with all physicians that are all across the country, we know what they're spending and we actually compile this into like peer data. So we can see, well, based on, you know, people who physicians and their families who have kids, this is what, you know, they're spending 26% as an example. It's not the right number, but 26% in housing costs, or they're spending 3% of their take-home pay to Amazon. And that's really powerful. And I like to be able to compare and to be able to see that inside of traditional softwares, I couldn't do that. So that's why I am a huge fan of software like Tiller that allows me to take and see the data and manipulate it. If you don't like spreadsheets, you might not like Tiller and you might like it more done for you with something like Mint. And Mint is a great example and it it, it is a great software, but it's not for everyone because if you want to manipulate and see the data a lot more, you're going to want to use something like Tiller, which again, financialresidency.com slash Tiller. And I'll be writing up a review of Tiller and how we utilize it. And um, again, our, our structure, our categories and things like that, but use software to help you do this. Like I've mentioned before, writing all this down would be absolutely terrible in my opinion. And I think you would probably hate that and get burned out on instantly anyway. So utilize software in order to do that. 
So you've probably had an experience with budgeting in the past and it probably didn't work out the way you intend. And I really appreciate you guys for listening to this. And I hope that you're able to understand kind of our thought process around budgeting and automation and how setting up the right banking structure can really help assist in this. And I know sometimes it's going to feel frustrating and, you know, maybe constricting, but really budgeting is what sets us free and allows us to understand that, you know, we have goals and we want to achieve them and we've got to have some way of tracking. So in the beginning, it's going to take you an hour or an hour and a half, or maybe even two hours to set things up and to start working on automations and uh, auto categorization of your transactions and building those things out. That's okay. Understand that's what it is. It's going to take probably for three or four months, a couple hours a month. But once you get it set up and it's kind of on autopilot and you get in that routine, you're going to one, be more efficient with the software. Two, you're going to know more of what you're looking at and you're going to have more refined numbers. But realistically, you're going to spend probably 15 minutes a month really digging through this, then seeing from a high level like, oh, I spent a little too much this month. My variable costs were $3,200 and I didn't save as much as I needed to. Next month, I'll try to save a little bit more and maybe go out to eat a little bit less. When I do this with clients, sometimes we find out that there's not a ton of money left over. And you might be thinking like, Ryan, there, there's never any money left over. That's okay. You got to start somewhere. But if that's the case, make sure that you're paying yourself first. And if 25% is too much, know that's what you need to work up to, right? You could start with 5% or 8% or 10%, whatever it is that you think is a good starting point, but know that your hurdle, your goal is to get to 25%. So I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for being here and for everything. I can't believe the show has been doing what it's been doing. And it's really because of all of you. If there's things that you would like to hear on the show or see on the show, I'm all ears. Like email me, Ryan at financialresidency.com. Drop a, a message in the Facebook groups. We have really exciting news coming. You know, there's going to be a book launching towards the end of the year. We're going to have uh, another couple projects that I, I'm not going to mention just yet coming, but they're big, they're fun, it's exciting. So thank you again. Have a great week. See you next time. Hey, everyone. Well, I'm really happy you guys are here. Honestly, super pumped that you decided to take some time out of your day to listen to me just yap about finances, especially on this show. I hope you liked it. Clearly, it's my passion, and I'm super nerdy about it, of course. But this information is for you, and honestly, I'm just happy to be the messenger for all of this. But I can't give you any specific advice on your financial situation through the show. So please consult an attorney, a CPA, or shoot, reach out to me, a fee-only financial planner, before you go make any big money decision. It's just the smart thing to do.